Um, okay, well, again, welcome to, to, uh, to Hope Lower Town. Let me just give a quick heads up of what we're gonna be next week. Uh, we're starting off a new series called Prayers. Uh, where we're actually going to be looking at specific prayers in the Bible. They're going to be, you know, we're going to get back to a, a passage of scripture that we're going to be walking through. Uh, but the topic specifically, uh, really through through January, I think the second week in January is going to be prayer. Uh, and so we're actually even going to look at that. Even we even got a Christmas, uh, some Christmas prayers in there. Uh, so really excited about that that series um, uh, kicking off here just just next week. But this week we're going to be wrapping up and finishing our series. Uh, made for God, a specific identity, gender, and sex. And uh, let me say, this has not been like a, a, an easy uh, series. I think uh, we know that it's been challenging. Uh, it's been difficult. It's been um, uh, really reflective, at least for me. I know I've learned and grown a lot in ways that I didn't think was even going to happen. And so uh, I am just, I'm thankful that we did this. I really am. Uh, I'm not, and it's not just, oh, I'm glad we're done. Uh, I'm glad we're almost done. We got one week left, but uh, but really, really thankful for this. And, and let me highlight as well um, that we are part of, of a multi-location a congregation and church. And so uh, meaning that any of these given topics, um, there are three different sermons about it, right? And so we went from a church that had zero sermons on um, uh, gender dysphoria to the next week having three. Uh, and so that's, that's encouraging to me that, that I, I'm able to go online and hear uh, another uh, speaker talk on it and, and be challenged by their perspective, even though our theology is the same. We're united on our theology 100%, um, but we have different people speaking different things. We don't have like a transcript that's printed and we're all saying the exact same thing. We're far from it. Um, and so just want to let you know about that. I think you just go hopecc.com slash resources, correct? Oh, and sermons, just sermons slash sermons. Anyways, hopecc.com slash sermons, or you can just find it on the, on the website. So um, that's that. Anyways, uh, let's jump into where we're going to be going. And so the title of the sermon today is, where do we go from here? And again, kind of like what's been pretty typical of this series that we've been kind of all over the Bible. Um, and so this isn't going to be, I'm not going to take a passage and again, kind of word by word. Um, that'll start next week again. Uh, but looking at Hebrews chapter 12, actually it should be one through three. Um, and so just where, where do we go from here in light of a lot of where we've been? And let me, let me say something first, um, as your pastor, um, this series, uh, could have been incredibly divisive. Uh, I, this is a series that could have caused a lot of, um, not just pain and hurt. Cause I think that that's, that's, a, that's a reality with some things. Um, but it, but it could have been a series where we attacked each other. And, and I think my anxiety leading up to the series was that. And I think uh, coming out of um, COVID, coming out of a lot of our political climate, uh, racial climate, um, that, that I think that as, as, I think that, and I don't use this word lightly, I think having experienced past trauma uh, with that um, and different things that happen and seeing uh, people leave and struggle with different thoughts that I think I was like, here we go again. And so I need to repent of that. I didn't give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, and as your pastor, I've never, I don't know if I've ever felt more loved in a series uh, and cared for, whether that was through a text or just talking to me or even after the series or after a sermon or whatever it may be. And um, that, that's true. But even, uh, and that's not because you're all like 
yeah, pastor, I agree 100% with everything you said, right? My wife doesn't feel that way. Uh, I don't feel that way a lot of weeks, right? And so this isn't like, uh, yeah, hey, we, we loved everything, but, but you, dis- you disagreed in love. And I, I cannot tell you how much I respect that from you, uh, that I love that about you. Um, and so I, I am thankful uh, that we can disagree in a way and, and still be unified under the banner of Christ. Uh, and I think that although this isn't like our, what happens in these walls is like all the like public information or, 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 I mean, I guess on some of the sermons, I guess all the sermons are in line, but what I mean is I think that we're a, it's a beacon of light to a watching world when we can be unified in areas that would normally cause disunity. Uh, that there are, I mean, there are so many, so many different churches uh, and even just these, the city uh, and be able to go, why, oh, how come, well, how come you disagree about that? And this view on this and the theological position on this. And, and we got to plan a new church. We've got to start this new thing. Church, planning churches, we're, we're about planning churches for sure. Um, and yet this is a way to show that we can be unified even when we disagree on certain things. And so I, I appreciate that about you. Um, and so let me, let me say, this might be a little bit out of, out of context in a sense, but um, uh, 3 John verses two and two through four, um, I kind of, I quote this verse every time I do a wedding. And so if I, I know I've done a several weddings of people in this room, but you may remember this, maybe probably not. You know how it is when your wedding day, you'll remember anything. Um, but uh, this is what the apostle John says to, to a friend. He says, dear friend, I pray that, this is the, what the letter is written to, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness of the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And while I know that I'm not uh, all of your spiritual father in that sense, in that case, uh, that I do feel a little bit of that, that spiritual fatherhood. And so I think coming out of this series, um, I, I'm so thankful. Uh, really, for all of you, I have, I have no greater joy uh, to be able to wrestle through some of these um, more complex topics with, with you. So what does this mean then for us? A couple weeks ago, uh, Paul, um, uh, we was talking about same-sex attraction, used this, this uh, series, or this, this image at least, of this stool. Now you have the, the church, uh, but then there's three different uh, legs of the stool that you have biblically faithful uh, culturally relevant and encounter cultural communities. And that if you cut any one of these, the whole thing is going to topple over. It's founded on Christ. It's founded on, on Jesus for sure. Uh, and yet if I cut the leg of biblically faithfulness uh, and I only care about being culturally relevant uh, or a countercultural community, the thing's going to topple over. And it's not to say that it's, it's hard because I think a lot of times you go, oh, well, the Bible, being biblically faithful is more important and yet, if you cut off the, the culturally relevant leg, for example, I don't think we're being biblically faithful, right? And, and that's why I think this image makes sense to me, that, I, that yes, Scripture's the highest authority, right? It's the biggest thing in this stained glass window. It's been there for 200 years. Now, this is a really big deal to be scripturally faithful, biblically faithful. And, and yet, if we're not culturally relevant, I don't think we are being biblically faithful. If we're not being a countercultural community, we're not being biblically faithful. And so that's that idea. And the, the language that we've used at Hope for a long time is that matter and manner matter that I can just speak the truth and speak the truth, but if I don't do it in a way that is loving and cares for people, then I'm, I, I, I could potentially be sending people to hell uh, with, with my hurtful language rather than uh, truth and love. And so 
Um, uh, so that, that's going to be kind of where we're going. Right? Where, where do we go from here? This is where we go. We, we go as a community wrestling with these ideas. And I think for some of us, some of us, there are certain aspects or one of these legs that we really identify with. And I think you know me. I'm like a biblically faithful. I'm a theology guy. I want to know my stuff. I'm going to read my books. And I want to, I want to be right in this. And yet can come across as a total jerk in doing that, right? And that's not okay. Um, and, and yet there are some of you who go, no, 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 I want to be culturally relevant. I want to be at this countercultural community. And, we, and you do that. And yet, and right, and we, and we can disagree, right? And it's not that one is better than the other or more important than the other. No, we need all of these. And, and I think we need to continue wrestling with that as we, as we move forward. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or I don't know how many weeks ago this was now, but uh, that's, that's Paul there in the background and Drew, he's the lead pastor at Columbia Heights. Um, we had the opportunity to go to Denver and we drove up, I forget the name of the specific mountain or road or what park it was, but it was like the, it was right adjacent. The, the road was closed, but it was the highest road, drivable road in the country. Um, and so we, I remember we got, I rented a, a Jeep. We had a couple hours in the afternoon and I'd rented a Jeep. And so we did a little, little off-roading, of course. And um, uh, as soon as I stepped out of the Jeep, like the, the elevation just immediately, like, oh, I can't breathe. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is really, really intense for me. Paul was fine. Paul's just hucking down a trail. And I'm like, I need, I need to sit down. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it, what it was. Because um, again, I've had two lung surgeries. I'll blame it on that. Um, and these guys are like, I want to smoke a pipe. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like not a chance. Uh, I did eventually, but um, it took a while for me to catch my breath. Um, and, then, and then I asked, uh, so then John, who you just saw, he was up there with us. The four of us kind of went a little, uh, went a little hike up there. And then uh, I, John took a picture of me and I was joking around, but then this ended up being the only, <laughs> the only picture I ended up taking up there in the mountains of me just, just chilling. What's that? Profile pic. Yeah, I don't have the guts to make that my profile pic. Um, anyways, I, I say all that to, to lead to, to this image, uh, which is uh, uh, this. We went to, a, it's called the Acts 29 Global Gathering. Acts 29 is a church planting network, um, and they changed their slogan. It used to be a global diverse family of churches that plant churches, which I love that slogan. Uh, and now it's, uh, we plant churches worldwide. Why, why? Um, and uh, I don't know why they changed it, but whatever they did. And so anyways, Drew, again, he's our graphics design guy, uh, Columbia Heights, big red beard there. He made us all custom shirts, uh, which I am wearing my RC Sproul uh, shirt. And if you're like, I don't know who RC Sproul is, then you don't know me. Okay. Uh, that's he, I love, this has got to be the only RC Sproul graphic tee in the world. Uh, and I love it. Right. Uh, uh, Paul is rocking a Francis Grimke shirt, uh, which I actually going to quote him today. Uh, Drew, uh, who does he have? I can't even see who he, Spurgeon. Yeah. He's got Charles Spurgeon Davis there. Uh, he's got, uh, uh, uh St. Augustine trike, uh, Steve Trichler. He's our senior pastor. Uh, he's wearing Apostle Paul. I don't know why he's flexing. I don't know why he decided to do that. Uh, and then uh, Pastor Cor, lead pastor of downtown, he's wearing a Luther uh, shirt there, but it's, it's in German. So it's like die 95 Thiessen, which I think is the coolest thing. But John, John in the end there though, is wearing uh, a Tim Keller shirt. And uh, if you don't know, Tim Keller is a pastor in, in uh, New York. 
uh, New York City. And, but, but the printing company wouldn't print the shirt that Drew made. They were like, I think maybe because he's alive, there's some copyright infringement here. You can't just use this guy's face uh, for, for profit on his store, which the name of the store, what is the name of his, what is the name of that? Chuckandmarty.com. You go to Chuck and Marty, you can buy the shirt. Don't do it. Don't you do it. But you could buy it. No, I'm kidding, right? Um, and uh, and we, had a, we had a really good time talking about church planning, just, just being there, talk, just, just, just doing all this. But I bring this up because I'm going to be talking a lot about Tim Keller uh, today. I'm kind of going through there. Uh, on Monday, uh, Paul had emailed me an article that he had written, and it was just very fitting. And the idea behind it, which we'll get into, is church history. Uh, and church history, I think, is so important. It's not as, it's, it's again, sola scriptura. The, the Bible is our highest authority, and yet I can learn from church history that we have 2,000 years of things that have happened and progressed. And when it comes to a church's, or the, the church, uh, their, their sexual ethic, we can learn from that uh, in, in just from, from example of, of things not to do and things to do. Um, and so uh, one, one way that, uh, a quote here that I, I have, just there's something about church history, again, that I just enjoy. I like reading about it. I like studying about it. During the pandemic, I don't even remember the context. It must've been off-road, but, but Paul and Allison, we recorded something in the back and it was about the church's response to pandemics throughout history. Um, and one was, I had a couple quotes from, from Martin Luther um, talking about the bubonic plague, obviously had wiped out a third of the earth's population, and yet, uh, at least within Europe, uh, and, then, uh, and then going, but, but he was around in the 1500s, uh, but it just kept resurfacing, right? But then another one, though, was Francis Grimke, which was just 100 years ago. Um, in response to the Spanish flu in Washington, D.C., he, he preached a sermon on November 3rd, and, and Grimke... Uh, so again, the, the stats, there are one third of the world infected and approximately 500 million um, and then 50 million deaths, right? That's a, that's a big number. Uh, and, and they went through a very similar uh, response culturally that we went through during this pandemic, uh, that masks were, were worn, that everything was shut down. And, and he had to wrestle with this as a pastor the same way I did. Um, and it's interesting, now coming out of the pandemic, I've had a lot of pastors in leadership even say, oh man, this has been, I think, the hardest time in church history when it came to dealing with this. And it's like, I, we've done this before, right? This isn't the first pandemic the church has had to try to navigate, uh, that we can learn uh, from them. And so uh, Grimke, though, he, he said this uh, about it. I said to myself, why worry? God knows what he is doing, his work is not going to suffer. It will rather be a help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe great good is coming. All the churches, as well as the community at large, are going to be stronger and better for this season of distress through which we have been passing. And I, and I think we can take that quote and we can apply it to things that we have gone through culturally and just locally as a church. Uh, things I've already mentioned, whether it's political or whether it's uh, racial or whether it's uh, even now just with, with um, sexuality of saying, I wanna, we're, we're coming through these things more united than ever, I think. Um, and, and so I, I, I agree with Francis Grimke now almost 100 years ago. So that being said, I wanna just kind of go through, I'm, I'm kind of using, uh, this is a, an article that Tim Keller wrote on uh, January 10th, uh, 2020, 
um, for the Gospel Coalition, and so you can find it online. But just five features that made that made the early church um, unique. And I'm kind of just, just going to use his outline from this article and 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 look at some passages and and, and talk through it. Um, and so uh, the whole point of this is that uh, religion was super determined on where you were born, who you were, what, what city you were born in, what city state, what ethnicity you were, um, that when you were born into a family or a tribe or a culture, they had a God and everyone worshiped that God. And if you were to change your God, you had to become that people. Um, that if I'm going to worship Nebuchadnezzar, I become Babylonian. If I'm going to be Jewish and worship Yahweh, I become Jewish. Obviously not ethnically, but culturally, um, even uh, physical markings, that I'm going to do this thing to be that. And then Christianity comes onto the scene and it turns that idea on its head. Uh, that, that you don't have to be a certain ethnicity, uh, you don't have to be a certain class, uh, whatever it may be, that you now have a choice. You have a choice in what religion you choose, and the way you look and act and talk has nothing to do with whether you can worship Jesus or not. And that was very transformative. Uh, we see this in Galatians chapter 2, 26-29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. What Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in Galatia, is not saying these things are irrelevant and not important. No, he's saying you're either Jew, Jewish, descent, or Gentile. All the other ethnicities, that's what Gentile means, all ethne, you are neither slave nor free. This has nothing to do with my, my social economic status. There's neither male nor female. Not saying that there is no maleness or femaleness, saying you are men and you are women, but that's not what's important here. What's important is that you're all one in Christ. That's what it should be. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. And so just five points here that, that Keller is gonna make of this article. Number one is the early church was multiracial and experienced the unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. Over the past several years, we've had a lot of conversations, even, and this is even pre uh, the murder of, of George Floyd, that there was uh, conversations that we were having locally, conversations that we were having as a church uh, as a whole. We had conferences looking at uh, gospel and race, uh, that we had started a, uh, a fund, I don't, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but a, but a line item, if you will, that's 1% of our overall budget, and that's true for us as well, um, to be able to give towards a gospel and race. Um, and these are things that we wanted to do. And while this conversation's nowhere near from over, it's a conversation that we want to have, uh, that how can we do this better? How can we um, live in a way that is this, that the early church was known for? And we see that they're known for this in Acts chapter 13, uh, where uh, uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, is writing this book uh, to his friend. And he says, now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, a Simeon called Niger, uh, which is like a, like a central West African nation uh, that was there. That You have an individual, again, just ethnically very different, Lucius of Cyrene, Greek. You've got uh, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, which means he was Jewish, right? And so, and Saul, who would, who would have been Jewish as well. 
He's saying, this is, a, this is right here. This is one church that is very diverse, uh, that this is not just based on how we look, how we act, what language we speak, uh, that our commonality here is Christ. And again, we see this in Ephesians chapter two, where the apostle Paul says, for he, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Again, what are the two groups? The two groups, as mentioned earlier in Galatians, of Jews and Gentiles. That, that again, in that culture, it was, oh, everyone needs to be Jewish, become Jewish. And he's saying, stop that. Jesus stopped that. The two groups are now one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations, right? That, that the, the Jews in that said, like, this is how you live. This is what you act. These are the sacrifices you do. This is how you, you live and you confess your sins and you do this and you go to church and you take communion and all these different things. And he said, it's not about that. He takes us by setting aside in his flesh the law with all its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we have both access to the father by one spirit. Second point that he is gonna make is the early church was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I'm not gonna read the text, but Acts chapter 16, we get a beautiful uh, example of this idea of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. That we're introduced in Acts chapter six to three incredibly different individuals that would have never, never crossed paths, never have been friends, would have never been in a community together if it wasn't for Christ. And we might look around and be like, yeah, I kind of feel that way about you. Like, I, I like you, but because you're, you're a Christian, <laughs> no, right? No, like there's, a, there's something about the church and Christ that brings us together. And that's exactly what happens. You have Lydia. Lydia is a powerhouse of a successful businesswoman. Multiple homes in multiple cities across the area. And, and she, with her wealth and her, 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 her position, is able, she's a seller of purple, right? uh, which, which was a cloth for royalty. Made some money. And made, I don't know if you know this, but it was, it was made from, uh, you had to crush these snails, very time-inducing. And she was the CEO, apparently, of that and, and was able to live off of this business. Uh, and so Lydia was able to, to house uh, the disciples and started churches in her houses. And so you've got that individual. And then you have a Roman soldier or specifically a jailer. A uh, jailer in the culture would have been somebody who had already served, I forget the time. I, I don't want to know what the, what, how long. It was 10, 15 years of service in the military. And so the, being a soldier, a guard, was kind of a cush job, was dedicated, a, a, probably a decorated soldier, and then comes to faith in Christ and is now gonna be in the same room having the conversations with Lydia. Right? This hardened war vet is now gonna be there with this upper class woman. And then this girl who's not named, who is formerly demon possessed, that, that Paul and the, and the, and the apostles, they, 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 they cast out these demons of this woman who's in, this girl who's in poverty, who's hurting herself, and now they're all together. These three people would have never been in the same room together, yet actually come together and worship the same God. This is reconciliation at its finest in just one case that we see in Acts chapter 16, the church in Philippi. The third point, the church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and suffering. 
Uh, who do the Vikings play today? Anyone know? Cardinals. Cardinals. Now, I feel like I do this every time I talk about parables, right? But just bear with me, right? That this idea of a parable is taking something I'm going to talk about. It's not just something that's complex and making it simple, uh, but Jesus spoke in parables a lot. And so I often would, would, I would kind of give the joke that these Vikings were, were, were climbing this mountain of ascent, you know, and they were doing, doing great things for Vikings, whatever that is. And these pesky cardinals came and just started picking at their ears and whatever, and they, and they fell off the cliff into, into utter destruction, right? And, and it's kind of just a, a stupid illustration of being like, okay, yeah, the Vikings are going to lose today. That's, I don't think that's going to happen, um, uh, obviously. Um, you got Kirk Cousins. I mean, Kirk Cousins, who's, who doesn't love Kirk Cousins? Uh, and so, uh, anyways, that, that's a parable. Uh, and so I want, I want to be able to tell a whole story. So, so I want to get through it so everyone listens. Yes, that's true. Um, and yet, parables are not very common in the Bible. We don't see a lot of them. It's used, King David uses a few. They're here and there. But Jesus shows up and he uses them all, all the time. Uh, they are used, uh, he, Jesus uses simile and metaphor simile. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is like this thing. Uh, metaphor, I am the door, this is my body. Uh, he uses these metaphors. Uh, hyperbole, he is, uses as well, which is an intentional, intentional exaggeration to make a point. Um, for example, this mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds. They, they knew there were smaller seeds than a mustard seed. It's proven a point that this tiny little seed, eeny, meeny, teeny, weeny mustard seed, is going to grow into this bigger tree that birds can actually sleep in and build their nests in. Right? This is hyperbole. Um, language of like all of Capernaum went out to see Jesus. Well, did all, actually every single person in the city go? No, but it's, it's an exaggeration that's trying to make a point. So parable comes from, again, the word uh, para, which means to throw alongside, uh, that it's, it's coming up alongside something else. And, and what is it coming alongside of? Illustration. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, when he, again, in the 300s, when he, was, when he, was, he wrote a, a, a paper, a book on biblical interpretation. How do we interpret the Bible? And he said, there are three rules to biblical interpretation. Number one is context. Number two is context. And number three is context, right? It's kind of the location, 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 right? That's kind of what he's doing. Context, context, context. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, when it comes to parables, it's illustration, illustration, illustration. Uh, it is not allegory. Uh, that we shouldn't take a, a story and go, oh, and every single time, well, this person represents this and that thing represents that and, and all these different things, right? And I, I know I kind of threw it under the bus last week, but Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. Uh, right when John Bunyan writes the book, he's saying, "Oh, this this actual person in the story, and it's very evident because they he names it that thing. This this person's name is Lust. Right? It's like, oh, I wonder what that person represents. It's very evident, right? Um, and that's not what a parable is. It's an illustration that's usually highlighting one main thing, which 99% of the time is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? And so again." Um, it usually takes the role of a riddle uh, used in situations of conflict or tension. So we're going to look at what we would call the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan. And someone's going to ask, a religious person's going to ask, who's my neighbor? Jesus could have said, oh, it's everybody in the whole world. End of conversation, right? But he doesn't do that. So it's not just taking a complex thing and making it simple. It's saying it's making it so people who want to listen to Jesus will listen to Jesus and the people who don't want to hear the words of Jesus aren't going to listen to the words of Jesus. So 
kingdom of God, let's keep that in mind. Let me, let me read this. And again, this is going back to this idea that the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and to the suffering. So Luke chapter 10 says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it, right? Jesus is notorious for answering questions with a question to get to the heart of the matter, right? This individual is trying to trap him. An expert in the law, right? A lawyer uh, of Old Testament law. What must I do? He said, well, you know the law. How do you read it? And he answered, love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus, and in reply, Jesus said, and again, when Jesus answers a question with a question, then answers the next question with a story, you're in trouble. That's just how, it's just, that's his MO. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. What do we know about this individual? He was a man. What ethnicity was he? No idea. What religion was he? No idea. What was his economic status? No idea. He's naked, stripped of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, right? A religious individual. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, right? And again, we might look at it, but, oh man, that's being harsh. No, no, no. A Levite had specific Levitical laws. He's a priest. He had to obey these laws. And what he said, that priest said, I'm not allowed to be by a dead body. This guy could be dead. It could be any kind of thing. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid this individual because I want to obey the law. I'm going to be a good priest and ignore that suffering individual, right? So too, a Levite, this would have been somebody who would have, again, obeyed a lot of these laws when he came to the place and saw him. This would have been, but not a priest. This would have been somebody who was a religious Jew, came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, somebody who who Jewish individuals despised and hated, half-bloods. As he traveled, he came to where this man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And when he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. But that is an ethic that started the early church. We want to care for people, everybody, regardless of religion, ethnicity, race. The fourth one here is it was a community committed to the sanctity of life. And I'm not, I'm not talking, uh, and, and, and Keller makes this very clear, he's not talking about abortion um, uh, because again, just in that culture, thousands of years ago, it was incredibly rare, incredibly unsafe. That's not the point. What he is talking about is something that was called an infanticide or uh, infant exposure. That was extremely common. And so let me, let me read just a brief quote here uh, from Keller. He says, unwanted infants were literally thrown out into the garbage heaps, either to die or to be taken by traitors. Um, and yet Christians took them in. 
And I, and I was reading this article, very short, very short article. And I was reading it and I was like, ah, is this true? You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like a, I'm going to say this thing to make like a good point. And, uh, and looked it up. And unfortunately, this is true. And unfortunately, with a, with a culture, there's letters, documented letters of, of Roman individuals. Uh, one was by a man uh, who's writing his wife saying, hey, I'm sending you some money. Uh, please make sure you take care of our oldest child. Um, and, I, and I'm so thankful you're pregnant. But if it's a girl, I want you to, I want you to, to throw it out, right? Like you've got, a, you've got a family man, right? And yet this was just so ingrained in the culture. And you have a, a countercultural community that's biblically faithful. It's going to be culturally relevant. It's going to care for people. Uh, a while back, oh man, sorry, too many announcements today. Well, um, I'm going to keep moving here because I want to get to the main point of the sermon. And that was this. It was a, it was a, a sexual counterculture, right? And I think that's the kind of the whole premise, the whole point of where we're at and what we've been talking about counterculturally. Um, when it, countercultural when it comes to our sexuality. And, and so I'm gonna, this is where I do wanna just read Keller. Uh, this is what he had to say at this point. So Roman culture insisted that married women of soldier status abstain from sex outside of marriage. But it was expected that men, even married men, would have sex with people lower on the status ladder, slaves, prostitutes, and children. This wasn't only allowed, it was regarded as unavoidable. This was in part because sex in that culture was always considered an expression of one's social status. Sex was mainly seen as a mere physical appetite that was irresistible. Christian sexual norms were different, of course. The church forbade any sex outside of heterosexual marriage, but the older, seemingly more liberated pagan sexual practices eventually gave way to stricter Christian norms since the deeper logic of Christian sexuality was so different. It saw sex not just as an appetite, but as a way to give oneself wholly to another and in doing so imitate and connect to the God who has given himself to Christ, in Christ. It also was more egalitarian, treating all people as equal and rejecting the double standard of gender and social status. And finally, Christianity saw sexual self-control as an exercise of human freedom and testimony that we aren't mere pawns of our desires or fate, and he quotes then this book here, From Shame to Sin, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality in Late Antiquity. And so as a culture, as a church, as a church, local church, what do we do? We remain biblically faithful, which is hard to do. It's, it's not easy to do, right? Again, oh, I, I, I gotta study, I'm gonna read this. This is the right answer. And yet there are, are outside voices, outside pressures that make you want to go one way or the other. And that's completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. We want to be culturally relevant. Well, how do we be culturally relevant? I can tell you right now, it's not because of our theology. That's not why. It never has been the case. To be culturally relevant means let's just preach the gospel and then the world will love us. It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus teaches how do we do this? I think we do this by talking about things that are hard to, to talk about and wrestle through. I think this series has, has been that. And so where do we go from here? I think that we're, we continue to try to be a countercultural community, being culturally relevant, biblically faithful. 
And what this isn't is it doesn't mean we go backwards on where we've been and what we've come from and what we've gone through. We don't go backwards on that. And going backwards, I think, is also neutral. I think neutrality or, or not continuing to talk about hard things is backwards. We need to keep talking about this. This is not, again, I think this has been uh, early on of my, my thinking of like, I just, I cannot wait to be done with this series. All right, okay, good. Check the box. I did it. Done with it. I'll do it again in 15 years. That's backwards. That's a bad way of thinking. But this should be an ongoing conversation. Been challenging one another in truth and love. Let me end with this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Author of Hebrews says this, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We have church history, we have family and friends, men and women around us who we can learn from, learn from their example. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Excuse me, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame. And we're gonna feel shame from culture in some aspects and be able to say, no, 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 I despise the shame. I don't like the shame, but there's a joy on the other side of this. And Jesus sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow, grow weary and lose heart. And one of the ways, one of the easiest ways I've found to grow weary and lose heart from the dozen pastors that I could name right now who have stepped down from ministry over the last three years, they got weary and they lost heart. And the reason why, not, just, not because Jesus isn't enough. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is be there together, be there for each other. That we can disagree and we can disagree in love. To not grow weary and to not lose heart together. So, Let's continue to join Jesus as he builds his church. His church, he's gonna win. Long after Hope Lower Town shuts its doors, he wins. Uh, there was a quote that just popped into my head. And so again, I know we're short in time, over time, but um, there's an individual, he was arguing, it, it was someone at the church, uh, some, a pastor was arguing with a reporter um, from, from uh, um, uh, the British uh, Broadcasting Company, I think is what it's called, whatever it is. Um, the BBC, and, and he, um, this reporter was like, hey, your church is gonna die. And his response was, the church of Christ will stand on the grave of the BBC. Right, that's a powerful phrase. And I think that that's still true. Hope Lower Town, man, we, we might not be around in a hundred years. But you know what will be the church? <laughs> the church will never stop because Jesus is building his church. And so let's unite on that and let's rejoice in that. We're gonna have a time of communion like we do every week. The juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for our sin, the wafers that represent his body that was broken for us. And we're gonna partake of these elements. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to come forward, grab one of these, uh, fill out a communication card if you want. You can take them back to your, uh, put some prayer requests in the back and, and return those to the baskets in the front of the back. But I would love for you to be able to um, take these elements with us that if Jesus is your king, if he is your Lord, uh, they would love to continue to do this moving forward, being a, a biblically faithful, countercultural, uh, culturally relevant uh, community. And so, um, yeah, let's pray. And then we'll, we will just uh, continue through worship uh, and through communion together. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. Um, thank you for hard things. 
Thank you that we are not in a position to just be able to put our head in the sand. Uh, that every single one in this room, most likely, has family, has friends, has coworkers, has roommates, uh, they themselves, um, that this series has been really hard to listen to. Um, and so uh, I just pray though that again, our heart moving forward um, would be one of love, would be one of listening first, uh, would be one of a posture um, of empathy and sympathy towards our friends and brothers and sisters, uh, whether they're in Christ or outside the church. And so um, God, I just pray that as you partake these elements, that you'd receive the honor and glory, um, that your name would be lifted up. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.